This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And with me today, I have Kyron Samuels. Kyron is our new director of social media. He's a former Division I offensive lineman at Jacksonville State, as well as an All-AFL offensive lineman. Ja- uh, Kyron, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Glad to be back. Got some good stuff to cover today. Yeah, dude. So this is our new Tuesday show. This is what we're going to do every single week. First of all, we're going to recap the Monday night football game, and then we're going to jump into some of our big performers of the week. We'll touch on my power rankings. This week, I haven't had a chance to write it. Um, we're going through a little bit of fluctuation over at Gridiron Heroics, getting getting some things switched up, but that will be next week, and I will do that list later today. But let's jump right into the Monday night game, man. I personally enjoyed this more than some people seem to because I it, it wasn't a total slog fest. It was it was run heavy. It wasn't high flying, but there was good football being played. You know, it, not maybe Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen type good, but I liked it. What'd you think? Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. Like, I tweeted it halfway through the game, but I could watch that type of football all night. It was low scoring, um, but it was well coached. The last two minutes of the first half got a little wonky. It was some questionable decision-making there from both coaches, and um, definitely have to highlight that. But other than that, it was a very well-coached game. Um, not a ton of mistakes from both teams. Uh, I could watch that all day. Not like the that crap Sunday night. That was just like one of the worst low-scoring, <laughs> badly coached. I mean, just all around, it was bad football. So that was frustrating to watch. But I wasn't frustrated watching this at all. With, with the exception of that last two minutes before halftime. So, yeah, I really did enjoy um, watching that game. It was high-level football, especially when you consider um, the youth and the injuries um, for, for both teams. So, definitely high-level football. Dude, I think if you told me before the season started that we were going to have a Monday night game between Cooper Rush and Daniel Jones, like, I probably would not have been very excited for it. But overall... They they both played well. I mean, Cooper Rush is exceeding expectations. I thought Daniel Jones played well for, I don't know, about three quarters. Kind of faded out there at the end, I think. But but generally speaking, at least they gave us something to be excited about. And man, I think at this point, it's, it's a real conversation between Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley as running back one. I, I think I'll still give it to Chubb because he's just such a... He's such a complete runner, but the explosiveness that Barkley brings to the table does make it an interesting conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, just, it's no question that it's Nick Chubb. However, I'm just really excited to see Saquon back and healthy because, like you said, his explosiveness, his ability, um, when he's healthy, he's top three, top five at minimum, uh, especially when you consider his pass-catching ability. He, he's a serviceable blocker. He's not, you know, Zeke Elliott good at blocking or Nick Chubb good, but he, he's decent. He gets the job done. 
Um, he offers a level of versatility that maybe a Nick Chubb can't. So I'm really excited to see him back healthy. And uh, same with, with Zeke. Zeke's had a lot of injuries, and you know he's been up and down when he's been in there. He had the bum leg, but he looked very good last night. Uh, Tony Pollard looked very good last night. And I'll even give Daniel Jones a little credit running the football. He made he he extended plays and, and uh, did a lot with his legs last night. So it wasn't like the high flying Mahomes Allen game, like you said. But this is old school NFC East um, football. This is what it used to feel like. So that's that's what I saw last night. It felt like the the early two thousands back in those days, and where it was slobber knocker football. And I was very impressed with the offensive line to run blocking. Both of the teams. Could, could you know be uh, improved a little bit pass blocking wise, but just seeing how those guys moved off the ball last night was very exciting, and the running backs are reflecting that. I mean, Saquon had 14 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. Um, Daniel Jones had nine carries for 79 yards, and then on the other side, Tony Pollard had 13 carries for 105, and Zeke Elliott had 15 carries for 73 yards and a touchdown. So, very very um, efficient run game. Um, I'm just very excited to see how these teams go forward. I said it last night. I wanted to see the Giants face a little bit of adversity and see how they dealt with it because the Cowboys, they've been there. They've done that. Even without Decker quarterback, we see them in the playoffs. They haven't, you know, really gone far and succeeded well in the playoffs, but they've been there. They won the games in the regular season. We haven't really seen that uh, from the Giants, especially being in a, a two and O uh, position. So I want to see them get tested in, I don't, I don't want to say they failed last night because they're still a, such a young team, first-year head coach working out the Kings. Um, but I was I was overall impressed with how far the Giants have come. I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Yeah, so before the season, I had a conversation with Bobby Skinner, and he was back on the show yesterday to do a preview for Monday Night Football. But he does talk in Giants, which is a, a really good YouTube channel, part of John Boy Media. And I was really excited about a lot of the things that they were doing in New York. Now, I was a big fan of Brian Dable going into the season. Um, I like what they did bringing Kafka over to, to to be their offensive coordinator. I like that Dable is not did not take play calling duties, even though it's something that he's known for, and just took that role of head coach and 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 basically CEO, especially in that first year, because it's so much that you got to do. I did not expect them to win two games right off the bat and be competitive in a third game. I, I, I don't think that they're in line for a championship this year. I'm not sure anybody does, but you got to be impressed with what they've done there. It's a testament to the coaching, no doubt. I think getting an experienced defensive coordinator uh, like, uh, like Wink Martindale coming over from the Ravens was a big win for them because it just means that it's one more thing that Dable doesn't have to worry about in his rookie head coaching season. You got your new play caller, you got all your guys that you're evaluating, and then you got your defensive coordinator who's been around the block and has done a, a good job for a long time. And, I, and so I think structurally speaking, I'm very impressed with what they've done and and we've seen early returns on that. So I want to see how the season progresses. Like you said, I want to see them fight through a little adversity. If they lose a few games here, I want to see what that looks like because you know you win two games off the bat off the bat in September, everything's roses. But but I, I, early early returns are good, man. Yeah, for sure. I I, I felt like they're uh, way ahead of schedule. I said it during the game or well, after the game. I said you saw how far the Giants have come, and then you also see how far they have to go. 
I think that was the, the, the biggest takeaway I had from that game. And I also wanted to get into something a little bit spicier. Uh, is, it, is it time to have a, a Cooper Rush Dak conversation here in Dallas? <laughs> it might sound blasphemous to some people, but it does not to me. So I would like to he- hear your thoughts about it first. Oh, well, look, I, sometimes I'm, I'm the cold water on the hot take guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, look, I think here's the thing. I think almost all of the Cowboys team, maybe not defense, but offensively speaking, across the board played better in week two and week three than they did in week one. And so it's hard for me to put that all on Dak Prescott, knowing that it was a new rookie in at left tackle, you know, all of the injuries to the wide receivers who are now getting a little more experience week by week in their starting roles alongside CeeDee Lamb. So I don't know, man. I mean, I hear you, but it's hard for me to get there already. I think we still see a little bit of lack in the tools for Cooper Rush, which makes him a very good backup quarterback. He can come in, he can win games, he can be efficient, but it's hard to imagine him playing championship football because I wouldn't say last night was championship football. It was winning football over a team that we don't expect to be competitive, you know, with the best of them, with the other playoff teams. But I don't know. It's, it's a fun conversation, but I just, I don't think I'm ready to, to go that far yet. What about you? Oh, I'm absolutely ready to go that far. I don't think he's a better, (laughs) I don't think he's a better football player than Dak Prescott. But what I do think is that he runs this offense better than Dak Prescott. I think the rhythm and the timing, the the decisiveness, um, the pocket presence was all better than we've seen with Dak Prescott. And I don't think that's a that's in that's why I thought it was a cool conversation to have because my eyes tell me that it's not a hot take at all. It's who he is because that that is his strength. What's that strength? Um, touchdown the field, uh, deep passing, extending plays, being able to make something from nothing. Um, his athletic ability that kind of transforms the way you call plays as well. I thought the creativity that they had play calling last night um, was interesting because you would expect that when you have Dak in there, but they were actually much more Kellen and, and, and Mike McCarthy were much more versatile in formations. Uh, the type of runs that you got from Dak, excuse me, from Zeke and Tony uh, Pollard, um, the quick game, they did much more quick game stuff, just throwing the ball out. Uh, that's stuff that you normally don't see with Dak in there. And I think that that's interesting because my takeaway from these last two weeks is that Cooper Rush is just diet Jimmy G. At his best, he is like diet Jimmy G, and that is championship football. We've seen Jimmy G lead the 49ers to two Super Bowl, almost to two Super Bowls. If he, if, if he makes that throw against uh, Kansas City, they win the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen – this type of quarterback lead teams to championships. Uh, Trent Dilfer, I mean, that was, defense was maybe the best ever, but we've seen Trent Dilfer. We've seen Matt Hasselback. We've seen quarterbacks of this ilk that aren't the most talented, um, that aren't you know the, the biggest athletes, the most uh, explosive arms and all that good stuff, make it to a Super Bowl. So I think that – let me walk this back a little bit. I'm not saying the Cowboys are going to make the Super Bowl the Cooper versus the quarterback. However, what I'm saying mm-hmm. is – I think it's a legit conversation to have because numbers are cool. Numbers are are fine, but I saw timing. I saw rhythm. I saw a a group that was in sync last night. 
And that is what wins you tough football games when you aren't putting up big numbers. Um, that has been the Cowboys' Achilles heel. They put up big numbers in the regular season. Uh, they have some gaudy numbers in, you know, in certain games. But even in the regular season, when they have the tough matchups, when it's time to win the hard games like that, Monday night, that place was rocking in New York last night. That, that, that place believes in that team. They're 2-0. and It's a huge division game, right? That is a tough environment to go play in. And not only did he produce, mm-hmm. he played at a high level to me. Uh, 21 of 31 for 215 in a touchdown. And if CD doesn't drop that pass, he has another 30, 40, 50-yard yeah. touchdown. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, I mean, albeit it was a tough catch to make, if he makes that catch, that's probably another 40, 50-yard touchdown. Um, he put the ball on the money. The ball placement was so impressive to me. And like I said, just the decisiveness. So uh, that's why I think it's not necessarily a, a hot take. It's because it's his DNA. It's what makes him who he is. And that's what just goes hand in hand with the offense and that type of play call. So I was just interested to see. I wanted to, because, you know, everybody can have a good game. Uh, what's, what's the guy from mm-hmm. New York last year? Mike White, I believe his name. Threw 400 yards last yeah. year. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, my God, who is this kid? And then they kind of, you know, leveled off. But he came, he bounced back with an even better game than he had against Cincinnati. Uh, so I think you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern here. And it'll be interesting to see how fast that gets back. Or if they're like, hey, if he's playing so good, take an extra week or two. Let's make sure you're actually 100% healthy. And Jerry Jones actually said something of the same ilk. He was like, I would love a quarterback controversy. It's kind of not what you would expect to hear from <laughs> the owner about your guy that you paid almost $200 million to. But he said it from his mouth. So we have to you know, talk about stuff yeah. like that. He said that I would love a quarterback controversy. Yeah. Well, look, I, so first of all, nothing surprises me when it comes from Jerry Jones. And, and you know, Anything that'll catch a headline, he will throw out there at a moment's notice. So, you know, look, to, to speak to your point, he looks super comfortable, very poised, and on time. You've got to give him credit for that. As a backup quarterback, we don't see that very often. So he has a tremendous amount of value in that position alone. Let's talk about the offense, though, because you brought up an interesting point. You said that when they run with Zach, or Dak, excuse me, they tend to be a little bit more stationary, less pre-snap movement, um, more of a static um, offense, right? And so Dak likes to read the defense without a lot of movement, and his greatest skill is to basically always know where the open spot is supposed to be, right? So he likes to have eyes on the defense at all time and not have everything move too much. A lot of the classic pocket quarterbacks uh, are like that. And so I think that part of the the reason that the offense looks different is due to, to, to Dak's preference. When you have Cooper Rush in there, I don't think that he is as, you know, efficient at finding that open spot all the time. So they decided to create a little bit more in terms of pre-snap movement and, and changing the formation a little bit. So I, I think it begs the question, should they be more dynamic of an offense pre-snap with Dak in there, even though it's not his preference because it does make things a little bit more challenging for the defense? Or do you just do what your franchise quarterback prefers? Well, okay, so let's just be very upfront and honest here. There's only three quarterbacks in the NFL, well, four now, that should be able to do what the hell they want to do, and and you should be able to to tailor it to them. It's Tom Brady, it's Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. That's it. Everybody after that, 
should let the guy who gets paid one million to two million dollars a year to call plays or the head coach that's calling plays call the damn plays and do it how they say it. Because even as a player, right, I studied the game, loved the game, spent countless hours in the film room, but that coach gets paid to do that. If he's any good at his job, he'll put you in the best position possible. I think you saw that last night. Um, Dak is good at finding it. I don't think he's great. I think he, because the problem with Dak is that if that first read gets taken away, it's always been very difficult for him to extend. He can extend the play, but always been difficult for him to find the next guy, to find the third read, to make something happen when that first read gets taken away. He, a lot of times you see him looking back to the sideline after plays like, what the heck was that? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like he just, after that first read is gone, he kind of loses it a little bit. And I think if you just simplify things, because I, I said it last night, the Cowboys offense was very, very simple, but they did a lot of window dressing, a lot of moving around, different formations, and, you know, just taking a different avenue to get there. But it was very, very simple football. And I think that people make the game too hard sometimes. And I think that's one of Dak's mm-hmm. biggest issues, especially when it matters. Like, we've seen them just come up so short in the playoffs or even in big games in the regular season because it's, uh, they, they scored 30, 40 points uh, week eight. And they look, oh, my God, the Cowboys are great. And it's like, well, you can't score 13 points in the playoffs. You can't. It is just it's frustrating to watch because I see the talent. I see the ability. But does that matter? To me, it doesn't. The, the winning matters. And I said it about Jimmy G last night. You can say what the hell you want about Jimmy G. Every game that he plays in, that team has a chance to win. Every single because normally when he makes a he, he throws an interception or has a bad uh or terrible decision, it's with the game like they're either up a little bit or down a little bit. Like they're always right there. That's why it stings and hurts mm-hmm. so much more. But that's a product of him getting that team in the right position, running what's called, making the right reads, getting the ball out quick. That's the same things I see from Cooper Rush. Um, do I think that this Cowboys roster is proven to be as good as that those 49ers teams are? Absolutely. It's, it's the same makeup. Uh, you have two damn good running backs. I mean, I was still Zeke is still a top 10 running back. There's no doubt about it. The production matches that. Tony Pollard is probably uh, the number one uh, change of pace guy or, or backup running back. And I can't think of any backup running backs with the exception of like a Kareem Hunt that's better than Tony Pollard in the NFL. Uh, the defense, mm-hmm. we got to, I think we've been overlooking the defense. I'm an offensive guy, so I'll say it myself. We've been overlooking how good the Cowboys defense has been the first two weeks of, the, excuse me, three weeks of the season because even Brady and those guys went in there and struggled to score. And that was with the full roster. They had Godwin, Mike Evans, and Julio for that game. Um, they held Joe Burrow and those guys to 17 points, I believe it was. Um, then they held these guys to 16 points. I mean, they are finding ways to get pressure on the quarterback primarily. We got to give a big shout out to Demarcus Lawrence. Six tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss. Um, I think those teams are made up the same. So I say I say all that to say to bring it back home to my original point. I think he's like diet Jimmy. I think he can do the same thing Jimmy G does for 49ers for the Dallas Cowboys if he were able to play for an extended period of time. And I think we're starting to see that. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that he is good enough to get the job done. And his biggest weaknesses are also his biggest strengths because he doesn't have the athletic ability, the crazy arm, all that good stuff um, to kind of bail him out. He has to be 
sharp mentally, and, and, and he has to um, be perfect with his timing, and he has been so far. So you're talking about basically good quality, egoless quarterback play yes, is what you think really gets the job done, unless you're truly one of those top four elite guys. Right, and I think that also goes hand-in-hand with what we were saying about the play calling itself. It allows Kellen and Mike to really get back to what they do best, and that is running uh, an offense, organizing a game, situational football. We, we saw it last night. Even like on, I was impressed with the third down play call and find the ways to um, a lot of window dressing, a lot of movement, and they got the tight end open two or three times, uh, the Ferguson kid. I mean, they just found extra ways. They, they ran an end around on, on a third and two. Um, excuse, I can't remember to who. It was to Simi Fajoko. They found a way to get him the ball. It's like little stuff like that we don't see with Dak the quarterback because he does like everything a lot more static, and he does like to to read everything and kind of be the centerpiece of everything going on. But I, I felt mm-hmm. the running backs even played better with, with Cooper Rush in because they have to find more ways to get those guys involved because you want to make it easier mm-hmm. for Cooper Rush. I think overall it's been a little bit easier with um, Cooper Rush, a quarterback. But I'm not going to jump out the window. Dak Prescott's a great football player. <laughs> I'm just saying I can't ignore what I'm looking at. And sure. especially how many backup quarterbacks in the league have been there for four or five years? Cooper Rush has been there for a very long time with the same people. He knows that offense just as good as anybody. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm interested to see them going forward for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's interesting, too, because even though there's a coaching change, the offensive coordinator stayed, which was definitely a help to Cooper Rush. Mm-hmm. And Dak, too, I'm assuming. But so I just want to shout out that incredible touchdown catch that CeeDee Lamb made one handed in the sideline there on the in the end zone. But that's the last thing I'll say about the skill guys. Now, I want to get into trench play just a little bit uh, before we head into our other segments for the day. Obviously, you being our resident offensive lineman, I want to hear what your thoughts are on some of the young uh, young tackle play. So we had Evan Neal playing right tackle first round pick for the Giants. We have uh, Tyler Smith playing left tackle, first-round pick rookie for the Cowboys. Uh, you know, and there's some other guys too, but, I, but I'm curious how you felt like those guys held up in their their uh, third games out there. So I'll talk about Evan Neal first. I think his first two games in the NFL, very, very good. About as good as you can hold for for a young tackle getting out there and doing it. But he also hadn't seen a guy nearly to the caliber of a Michael Parsons or a DeMarcus Lawrence yet. So Mm -hmm. I think you saw a bit of the curve last night. And to me, I was encouraged because it was all simple technique stuff that needs to be cleaned up. It's not like he's just not athletic enough, not strong enough, not fast enough. We saw him win. And this is like the the, the funny thing when you're talking about offensive line play. It's like CeeDee Lamb dropped three balls last night, wide open ones that would have been touchdowns. But nobody cares because he made that catch. And all we talk about is that catch. (laughs) <laughs> conversely, yeah. conversely yeah. on the offensive line, it's like he got beat twice. One of them was kind of the tight end literally chipped him off and, and gave him inside leverage on, on Evan. So not necessarily giving him that one, but um, he struggled early. But nobody talks about the second half he played. He played damn good in the second half, and you saw him start to figure it out. And I think that was more more encouraging than anything. He got his welcome to the league moment against one of the best in the in the NFL. Everybody struggles against that. Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. I saw Michael Parsons, you know, whoop Trent Williams a couple times in the playoffs last year. I mean, <laughs> even he gets beat. So if that is the bar, and that's what I'm kind of basing this off of, if that's the bar for for DN play, 
You got your butt whooped early. There's no doubt about that. You found a way to come back and make adjustments and get it done. And that's just pass blocking. I think when we talk about O-line play, everybody just wants to, oh, you gave up a sack. You suck. Go watch Evan Neal run block. That guy is moving people off the football. Um, he's creating lanes. Even in uh, on the broken plays with quarterback, Daniel Jones just scrambling out. Evan Neal is a, uh, a beast run blocking. So I think overall there's a lot to be encouraged about, um, especially going forward in the division. I don't think he's going to – you know, they, there's good pass rushers in the NFC East, but I don't think there's great ones outside of Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. I mean – Philly has a, a great overall defensive line, but I don't think that they're crazy, crazy pass rushers. I think their strength is on the inside. With Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, uh, Jordan Davis, those guys on the inside, they're, uh, they push the pocket and help the outside guys more than anything. But mm-hmm. I think he's going to be fine going forward, man. I really do. Uh, overall, he, he's played well the first three games of the year. And even even you know veteran tackles have these games sometimes. So, the biggest thing for me is that he took he found a way to get it done in the second half, and I was impressed with that. And then on the other side of the ball, listen, I was one of the people who did this too, so I'll take accountability for that. But I was like, there's so many other needs for the Cowboys. Um, why the hell are you drafting this kid first round? I thought he was a good player in college for sure. But I'm like, who? what are we doing right here? There's so many other needs for this team. And it turns out he was the perfect pick because the guys, Tyron Smith goes down, gets hurt. I mean, just bad all around, right, for injuries. He got in shape. The biggest thing with him coming out is that he was like 355, 360 pounds. Like, he wasn't in very good shape um, Mm -hmm. during the pre-draft process and all that. But he went with those guys, the O-line masterminds in Texas and um, Duke Manyweather and those guys, and they got his butt in shape, bro. And he looks really, really, really good, especially considering that he was supposed to be playing guard. He wasn't even supposed to be out there, right? He was supposed to be the guard, the road grader next to Tyron Smith. And when Tyron Smith comes back, he mm-hmm. probably will still bump in and play guard. But he looks very good. I don't have much to say about him other than I was wrong about them. I didn't think he was going to be a bad player. I was just like, why the hell are you taking him here? But, hey, it worked out perfect for him because of the injury. And I, I got to give him a lot of credit. He looks very good for only his third game in the NFL. And we're, we're talking about the young guys, but I do want to give a shout-out to Jason Peters. I mean – um, 40 something years old now, I believe he came in there and on that big Tony Pollard run and a couple of Zeke runs it's they're running off of Jason Peters at guard. He's blocking the road grade. I mean, clearing it out. So for him to just jump off the couch and, you know, a couple of weeks, and I'm going to go, you know, play some football here and play in the national football league at his age is absolutely insane. So big shout out to Jason Peters, one of the best of all time. And I hope that this, these little stints he's doing now doesn't, um, kind of cloud people's perception of him and just how good he was because he was the absolute best in the NFL for a while. It was him and Trent and mm-hmm. Trent's kind of, he's, he's younger, obviously, but he's kind of taking the mantle and really ran with it. But Jason Peters was every bit as good in his prime and he deserves all the love and all the flowers. So I hope that doesn't get lost. Uh, now that he's kind of past his prime, but still getting it done, but definitely big shout out to JP, man. Yeah. I think anybody who pays enough attention to, you know, give proper credit to offensive linemen is also going to be aware that, you know, this isn't the end of his career. And for the people who don't pay attention to the offensive linemen, ah, probably doesn't matter for them either way. Right. But so, you know, jumping back to what you were saying about the Cowboys drafting Tyler Smith, this quote goes back to Ozzie Newsom, obviously one of the best gen- general managers of the past 
probably 30, 40 years. And he said that a luxury today may well be a need tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so anytime there's a clear and obvious best player on the board for you, which according to Jerry Jones showing that draft card to everybody, that, that their, uh, their, their draft board in that press conference after round one, he clearly was uh, above, uh, significantly above anybody else that they had on the board. And so when you have that situation, even if it's a player that is, plays a position that you feel like you already have, Man, attrition happens fast in the NFL. It really, really does. And, and I think that as long as you keep getting good players, sometimes you have to look past positional need. And and I think that's one of the key reasons that you have the ability to get really good players in that, that 33 to 40 range. Like, I consider the top 40 in most drafts. Um, I don't know. Can you still hear me? I think I'm frozen. Yeah, I can still hear you. All right. Uh, that's why I consider the top 40 really first round picks for the most part in, in generally in a draft because somewhere around the mid thirties, you start getting first round, uh, uh, picks going off the board that maybe don't quite warrant it, but a team that was in the playoffs last year, they feel like they have one particular position that they need to get taken care of to take the next step. They reach a little bit for that. A couple of teams do that, and the next thing you know, you've got first-round talents at pick 34, 35, 36. You know what I mean? So I always consider a team that has a pick in the top 40 as having another first-round pick. You know, I think if you make use of that effectively and you're a top 10 you know, picking-type team, you, you didn't have a good season, you have the opportunity to get better real quick if you don't focus too much on needs. So props to the Cowboys for, for not doing that. So... I think that's it for me. Do you have anything else you want to say on Monday Night Football before we jump into some of our other topics for the day? Um, you know, not really. Not much other than just to kind of close out uh, the last topic we had. I just think we should give the Cowboys a lot more credit in general for how well they've drafted over the last, you know, five or six years. I don't think they quite get enough credit for how good they drafted. If you look at their team, um, they're built with all draft picks almost, man. Like, they haven't really hit on anybody in free agency. I mean, not that I can think of or – or through a big trade, I mean, Dak, Z, Tony, um, Zach Martin, uh, Tyron Smith. I mean, I could just keep C.D. Lamb. That's just on the offense, like the defense, Van Der Esch, um, Trayvon Diggs. I mean, you just keep going. Micah Parsons, like, they have drafted very, very well. And I don't think you can um, look at many teams across the NFL and see those caliber of players all from just homegrown draft picks. So kudos to them, man, and we can move on here. Mm-hmm. I think I think if there's any criticism, it's that they don't utilize free agency quite enough to 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 just complement that. Right. But they have the key part down, which is drafting very well. And I've talked about that before, so on the show, so I don't think I need to rehash it. All right, that's going to take us into some of our top performers of the week. So, Kyron, every week you put out an article about the best offensive line of the week and the best performer of the week. So I'm going to throw it to you now. Who was your top offensive lineman for the week, or offensive line, excuse me, and and why? And I told you, we sat down in that room, and I said, hey, you're going to be the greatest receiver ever do this. I told you, all of my critics, I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I don't suck compared to you. Like, you, you suck compared to me. 
So my, my number one offensive line for the week is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, going into this week, all we heard about was how good the Chargers are defensively and the versatility that they have and all this good stuff. And for good reason. They've been balling out this, this season, right? I mean, um, you got Derwin James, uh, Asante Samuel Jr., um, the guys up front, Khalil Mack and um, Joey Bosa, I mean, Sebastian Joseph Day, even those guys, right, on the interior. You heard about how good this defense was as a whole, right? And especially primarily the pass rushers. Uh, and then I, I threw Derwin James and those guys in there because they, they send a lot of pressure off the edge. They're very creative with how they, they blitz. They, they're one of the high, highest blitz rate teams in the NFL. So those are guys that have to be taken into account when you're talking about O-line play. And I can't tell you how impressed I was. They didn't give up a sack all night. I know Joey Bosa went out in the, in the third quarter, I believe it was. But even in his early play, he didn't do very much at all. Um, I'm just so impressed with them top to bottom. Uh, Trevor Lawrence went 28 for 39 for 262 and three touchdowns. Um, James Robinson went 17 for 100 yards and a touchdown. Travis Etienne went 13 for 45 yards. I mean, they ran for 151 yards and, and threw for 262 yards against the Chargers. In L.A., in SoFi, I mean, I can't tell you how impressed I was with that, man. Like, they didn't give up a sack. Um, the highest tackle guy was um, Sebastian Joseph Day, and he got all that in the second half in garbage time where they're just running the clock out. You know, I, I was just so impressed, man. It's like, how bad is Urban Meyer? Like, because this, <laughs> this team is not, I mean. It's the same team. It, it's the same, dude. They, they were a good offensive line last year. They didn't get enough credit. I think they were like 10th in pressures allowed or something like that. They were top 10 um, as far as pass protection in the NFL last year, right? But how poorly run was this franchise last year? Because even the game that they lost this year, they're 2-1 now, right? First in the AFC South, shout out to those guys. But even in the game they lost to the Commanders, they were very much in that game to the very end. I mean, they're a couple pieces away from being a legit contender, of course, in my opinion. But the way they're playing right now, the way they have this team rolling um, – it's fairly impressive, man, especially against the level of competition. We saw I mean, Khalil Mack has – I don't want um, to give a false number, so I'm going to take just a second to look it up here. But come on, Khalil, Khalil Mack has four and a half sacks this year, six and a half tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. You know, he, didn't, he, he made a couple tackles. He affected the game a little bit, but he didn't get a sack. He didn't get a tackle for loss. Khalil Mack did not have the defensive player of the year type game that Khalil Mack's been having. Uh, Kyle Van Noy was, was a non-factor. Um, Joey Bosa before the injury was a non-factor. Um, shout out to those guys up front, and especially to Cam Robinson. I don't think he's getting enough love. Because, um, you know, is he a premier elite left tackle? I wouldn't say so. But whatever is right beneath that, just very, very, really good football players, he is that. He He's earned his money. He, he's produced. I, I'm just so impressed with him. We got to give a shout out to Shreff. I mean, come on, man. Like, these guys are just... <laughs> I'm just so impressed with these guys up front. And that kind of rolls into my next topic. But I do want to hear what you have to say about that game kind of in general, and especially the way the offense is moving. And that's just predicated on the protection up front and and moving people in the run game up front. Yeah, well, for sure. So my thing is that when, when Urban Meyer was hired last year, it was clear as day, telegraphed from the lighthouse across the sea that that was a move to get season tickets sold. They got the first overall pick 
you know, from down south, from he's from Georgia, he's right across the line. Big money. They even get Tim Tebow in the offseason, right? Like mm-hmm. they are trying to get people in the building. Urban Meyer from Florida, or you know, super popular from his days in Florida. I thought it was a horrendous decision because he had all of this stuff following him from one program to the other, which I was aware of. Mm-hmm. And I just thought for sure that this was going to be a long-term issue. You know, you're going to have a couple of years, maybe things look good, and then it falls off a cliff because of that. It's just a track record, right? Like, history repeats itself. So what I didn't know, though, was how fast that it would deteriorate. And I here's the thing about me that, that listeners already know. I don't follow college football that closely. I just don't have time because I follow the NFL so closely. I assumed that Urban Meyer must be a pretty good football coach to have the overall number of wins that he has had. Now, you probably have better insight into this than I do. Did he just build a reputation off his days at Utah and then and then just started to be able to recruit extremely well and have better talented players than, than everybody else? Or was he a good football coach? At Florida and at Ohio State, like where's the where's the drop off here? Because clearly, something was different, right? Was it, it did what, did he just have better players in college, or did he just really not give a crap at all once he got to the NFL? Like what happened, man? Well, all right. So I do want to walk back a little bit. How bad is Urban Meyer in the NFL? Is what I should have said because he's right. a, he's one of the five best college football coaches ever, and actually coaching. Um, it started at Bowling Green as far as personal right. thing. He he had those guys rocking, um, mm-hmm. getting nationally nationally televised games at Bowling Green. Uh, Utah did the same thing. Florida did the same thing. Ohio State did the same thing. Right? He did have better players than mostly than most people, um, but that was because he's that good recruiting. He he's always had a saying: um, recruit the fastest team in the country. And for the most part, he always did that. But he's also a great offensive mind. Uh, he has a lot of sons out here in this coaching game. I'll say that. Um, and he, he's one of the best ever do it at college. But Nick Saban had to learn this the hard way, too. It's a lot easier when you can just go recruit guys and pick your five stars. And uh, now you got stuff like transfer portal and stuff like that. It's much easier when I can go handpick who I want. The NFL, you have to you have to build a team. You have to build rapport. These are grown men, right? These aren't 18 to 22 year olds that you can talk to a certain way. Um that you can kind of have your thumb over uh, because you essentially do uh, hold control over their future, right? The NFL is like that as far as kind of holding a little bit of control of your immediate future, but you have to build a rapport with these guys. He, The way he talks to people, um, the way he handles even coaches um, is very, very college, early college, old school college level. Because even in college now, you have to walk back some of that old, those old school tendencies because there's NIL in the fold now. There's transfer portal. They don't have to deal with this crap anymore. They can go get literally go get <laughs> paid somewhere else. So the way coaches have to treat kids has also changed. Um, I had Tony Franklin on Spaces last week, and he was, you know, he loved to, um, NIL because he said now coaches have to treat players with respect in college football. So um, even if Urban happens to go back to college football, I'll be interested to see how he is in the NIL world because he's going to be able to get the kids right. He's one of the best recruiters ever. One of the biggest names in football. Um, but you have to treat people better now. I think that was one of his biggest problems in Jacksonville. 
you can't treat grown men like 18 year olds for one. Um, you can't be out, you know, you're telling your team they have to be accountable and um, they have to, you know, be all this stuff. And you're out the bar yeah. with, with the woman that's not your wife. I mean, I don't, I feel, it feels almost like invasive to say those things, but the idiot literally did it for the world to see everybody. There's yeah. video, there's pictures, like there's memes. Mm-hmm. I use, I use one of the urban Meyer memes. I love urban Meyer, but it's like, <laughs> it's funny, dude. So it's like, I wouldn't say that he didn't give a crap. I just think that he thought it would be easier than it was. I think that he thought he could do what he all, had always done and get the job done. That's not, that's not what the NFL is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people really pay attention to how competitive and how close every NFL game is for the most part. You very rarely, like Jaguars won 38 to 10, right? We can give, give them credit. I'll go down the list here. Cleveland Pittsburgh was 29 17, but they scored a touchdown on the last, literally the last play of the game. Chicago Houston, 23-10. Indy KC, 27-10. Baltimore, New England, 37-16, score at the end of the game. Tennessee, Las Vegas, 24-22. Miami Buffalo, 21-19. You got Minnesota, Detroit, 28-14. I mean, I can just keep going down the list here. Those, that's the NFL. Um, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. I mean, that was my favorite game of the week, by the way. I probably won't talk about it, but we saw why those two guys are the best quarterbacks of all time with those mm-hmm. rosters, what they were able to do, the efficiency and the way they were, they were able to move the ball and kind of keep in the throws that they made. And we got a, a vintage Aaron Rodgers snipe in late in the fourth quarter um, on that plate to Lazard on the second and short. That was gorgeous. Then we got a vintage Tom Brady walk him down drive at the end of the game. I'm getting excited because that's my favorite game of the week, but let me finish my point. Every game in the NFL is close. He's used to beating people by 30 and 40 and playing his backup five-star quarterback um, just to see what the kid has and seeing what these other guys have. You don't have that luxury in the NFL. You have to build teams from the ground up, especially in the position that he went to. He might have actually had a little success in a place like um, the, the Los Angeles Chargers with those guys and that group of people um, and the talent that they have. But the Jaguars are a decent team. But you have to build teams and instill um, a vote of confidence in those guys and actually game plan. I think that he hasn't actually game plan and schemed up a team in forever. So yeah, that's kind of what I thought because right. like I think I think it's one of those things where initially he did have to game plan for a different team each and every week when they're basically on the same you know playing field as far as as far as you know, just physical ability of the players involved. And then as time went on, as he won more, I mean we're talking about those Florida championships being well over 10 years ago at this point. You know, so by the time he's going to Ohio State, even later in his Florida days, he is like, not only is he a good recruiter by nature, he has all of those skins on the wall. Mm -hmm. So the kids are just lining up to play there. I mean, I think like even these kids that are blowing up the league now, like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, I'm pretty sure they were still recruited by Urban Meyer back in the day. So like, these are the guys that he was getting in. So I think you're absolutely right, and and it, it's a combination of being used to having those guys that could just run all over the place and not knowing how to treat other adults. Right. And I think you made a really, really good point about NIL and what it means for how players are treated, and I'm always pro players being treated well. So one of the things that I... I know we're getting pretty far off of Jacksonville here. We'll go back to it in a second. But one of the things that I really follow closely 
our NFL contracts, negotiations, and I am always pro a player getting their money. Now, I might criticize a team here and there about how they went about doing something, perhaps over committing in guarantees, but it's only because I like to look at it from both perspectives. Like I, I always applaud any player or agent who can get theirs. That's why I'm fascinated with certain guys like you know Bobby Wagner or Lamar Jackson, these guys that are negotiating for themselves. I, I, it's, there's a lot there that I want to talk about at some point with you as as being a former player, but, but to me, players being treated well, physically, emotionally, and well compensated is super important. So that was just something that you brought up that I just wanted to comment on briefly. And I think that's, it's a good thing for the game of college football, despite what a lot of people, uh, you know, who maybe have a little bit of a an older mindset want to say about it, but going back to, uh, to, to Jacksonville, man, I, I like what I'm, what I'm seeing here. They were so criticized this off season for overpaying certain guys to come in and play. Ultimately they did get better though. And I think when you have a quarterback of the stature that they do, you've got to do all you can to make sure that he isn't in poor surroundings. So you overpay if you have to, to get that Brandon Scherf in there a little bit. Like if you need to upgrade the offensive line, don't play games, just get a really good guard in. If you see a player that fits your offense and you want to make sure that you have a reliable target for this guy, get him in. And I think getting that, that big time guard, that anchor in the middle of the the offensive line did a lot for them because Offensive line, and you tell you either correct me if I'm wrong or tell me if you agree. It's a it's a position group where you're reactionary, and it makes it difficult because if you do have a weak link, it's tough to to hide it, right? Like it can be exploited. They can force one on ones by loading up one side of the line or the other. And anytime you have a talented player in the middle of the field, like in the middle of that line, it helps out in either direction, either you guarantee that he can handle any one-on-one with any defensive tackle or stunting defensive end, or he can help double team guys. He can help chip a little bit on, on either for his center or his tackle. If anybody's a little bit weak. So I think it was a really big get for him, for them to get him in, even if they did overpay by a lot of people's standards. What do you think? Well, yeah. So to your first point, um, it's absolutely incredibly hard to hide any deficiencies or any weaknesses on the offensive line. I mean, they're pretty, they're glaring. I think the only place that you can semi hide it is at center. Um, I think you're starting to see a little bit of that in Cleveland with um, Ethan Posick. He's a good player, but there's a reason why he was the third on the depth chart, and um, this is his third or fourth team in the last five years. But he looks pretty damn good in there right now because you're playing next to two All Pros and Joe Batonio and Wyatt Taylor. So. It takes a lot of the heat off on the inside. Other than that, um, it's extreme. You cannot hide a weak link at tackle. You cannot hide a weak link at guard. It's just impossible to do. There's too many good players in the NFL, um, especially on the edge rushers and those guys. So I don't think it was an overpay at all. I think if he's healthy, you see the level that Shred, uh, is playing at right now. So uh, I think that it was absolutely the right thing to do. Like you said, thank God they did it. <laughs> Um, because the first two years, in my opinion, uh, 
are the biggest of a quarterback's development. And if you cannot get a, like Trevor Lawrence is used to, he won like broke all of Deshaun Watson's records in the state of Georgia. Um, he won a national championship at Clemson, led led them to another national championship. He's used to winning and he's used to dominating, right? I'm sure that messed with his psyche last year, throwing for seven more picks than he did touchdown. Uh, you know, getting sacked a little bit, like just not playing fo- winning football like he's used to. I'm sure that really messed with his psyche. So if that would have happened um, going into this year, and it remains to be seen, it's a long football season, correct? But mm-hmm. he already looks much more comfortable. Um, he's already looking like he's being developed more with Doug Peterson. And I think that just says a lot about the coaching staff in general. And um, the organization is serious about winning. Like you said, a lot of people think they overpaid. I don't. I think we're starting to see some of the, the benefits. I thought they overpaid for Christian Kirk. But – the first three weeks of the week of uh, the season, he's been shutting everybody up. He's been playing extremely well. He had another damn big game. He had six for seventy-two and a touchdown. Um, that's the only guy I thought they quote unquote overpaid for. But even he's proven that to be false. I mean, he's balling out. Um, but especially up front, I think that it, it was paramount that they did that because offensive line play is essential to quarterback play, and quarterback play is essential to the success of your team. So building the team inside, and this is what. My overall point with Urban Meyer was he's used to throwing people out there. They made a commitment to build the team from the ground up, from the inside out. And I think that you're starting to see a lot of that payoff for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think it's only an overpay in the sense that it's what anybody else would have been willing to pay for that player. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's based off the market. But there is a world in which overpaying somebody is not a bad decision. Right. right. Like you have to operate off of like I cannot act as Max Dean as if I'm Kyron Samuels and, and all of my decisions are based off of what would be, you know, efficient value for you. Like I have to live in my world and my my existence. And right. same goes for NFL teams. I think there there's a line that you can cross where you, you maybe you get careless with it, but I don't think that just because you overpay necessarily makes it a bad decision and I think especially if you're talking about on the offense especially if you're talking about developing a young quarterback some of that value stuff just goes out the window because you just got to make sure that you have what you need to get that guy into year three year four where he can start to elevate the team around him and I think we're seeing that now so let's jump into your performer of the week you said it's on the same team so I want to see where we're going. Are we talking about Trevor Lawrence or are we looking at somebody else here? We are talking about Trevor Lawrence, right? And and I wish I would have, you know, I decided to do this after week one. If I had done it week one, Trayvon Walker would have been my performer of the week because Trayvon Walker Mm -hmm. is proven all the pundits wrong. A lot of people hated that pick um, at number one. Like Trayvon Walker, number one, what are we doing here? But he absolutely looks the part. He's dominant. But I do want to just give Trevor Lawrence his credit, right? I'm I picked Justin Herbert to win the MVP. I think Justin Herbert is number four or five right now, um, as far as just best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, Justin Herbert got all the love going into the game, but everybody left the game talking about Trevor Lawrence and for good reason. Um, I'll run down the stat line again: twenty-eight of thirty-nine, two sixty-two mm-hmm. passing yards, and three touchdowns. And I, I say like three or four of those are just throw. I I hate the throwaways count as incompletions. If you're not trying to attempt the that's something that's just like a, always been a knack of mine. Um, if you're not attempting to make a pass in bounds, it should not count as an incompletion. But he was so efficient. He's so comfortable. His pocket presence 
it's one thing I watched Daniel Jones last night, right? And I was like, I said it during my playback stream, like, he's a freak athlete. He has a great arm, great stature, zero processing ability, and zero awareness. It's like his pocket presence is terrible. Like, where he, he's not decisive. He doesn't know where to go with the ball. It's the complete opposite with Trevor Lawrence, and this is only year two. Um, he is so decisive. He is so comfortable in the pocket. He's such a natural thrower of the ball. Um, I'm so impressed with how far he's come. Because he, you saw flashes last year, but you didn't really see him take strides like he's making already this year. Um, he's he has six touchdowns, only one interception this year. Like he's almost he's halfway to his touchdown total from all of last year through the first three weeks of the season. Just incredible how much of a difference coaching in a tweak or two on the O line can make. Um, but like I said, the overall thing was that. I was so impressed with his footwork, his decision-making, and his pocket presence because the offensive line did a great job, but he still faced pressure. He saw a lot of guys in his face. He had to step up in the pocket and move around to avoid and extend plays. Um, and some of the throws that he made were just absolutely nuts. I mean, um, he also scrambled, and he almost got a rushing touchdown too. Like, I was just impressed with his ability to handle the moment because you're going up against Justin Herbert. You're going up against this high-powered defense. Um, they're throwing a ton of looks at you. That's one thing I will give the Chargers for. That they confuse a lot of teams. Uh, Pat Mahomes struggles with it too. Like they throw uh, the kitchen sink at you all day. It's one of their calling cards. And Trevor Lawrence was never phased. He's one of the few people that I think also have that kind of stoic quality. That I think Herbert has it as well. But they have the stoic quality that you, they're never up. They're never down. Um, you never see too much emotion from them. They're robots in, in a good way. Because um, you don't always have to be the raw rock. Everybody's not Brady, right? Everybody's not Peyton. You don't have to be the raw rock guy all up in the face to to be a leader. He's a leader of men. The way I'm telling you, when people watch these games back, look how they react when these guys make a play. Um, look how they react when these quarterbacks get hit. That says a lot to me. If these guys aren't running up to you, if your guys aren't running up to you to pick you up, I mean, when I was playing, I wish somebody would hit my quarterback late or something some crazy like that, like or even just touch him. Like I'm pissed off, right? I'm running up to help my guy up. They're doing yeah. that for Trevor Lawrence. When he throws a touchdown, they're not only just running to celebrate with the guy in the end zone, they're running to Trevor Lawrence. Great play, boy, like picking him up, hitting him on the head, doing all that good stuff. He is a leader of men, too, which is impressive because he's a 20-year-old. I mean, let's talk about it. People don't understand that. Not that I'm a little bit older, right? People don't understand how incredible it is for a 21-year-old kid to lead a team full of 30-year-olds, right? Most of the team is 30, mid-30s. Old enough technically to be like their big uncle or something. Like there's mm-hmm. 15 year, some guys are up to 17, 18 year differences here, right? And they look to him as their leader. That says everything you need to know about Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think that he was kind of coddled a little bit last year in the media. Nobody talked about how poorly he played, and I think that was a disservice to him. Um, because I was I was tough on him at some points, and I gave him his credit when he played well. Um, but what I think is about to happen is you're about to start seeing a shift here. And how we talk about Trevor Lawrence, um, Nick Wright. I, I don't. I think he works for FS1 um, and Fox. But he's saying, oh, after the game, he's like Trevor Lawrence is a top ten quarterback and climbing. And I'm like, come on, all right, we, we should relax. Let's hold off on. <laughs> He's played good for three weeks now. Let's give him a little time. It's still year two. It's time for to let him grow and, and show some consistency now. So that's where I think we're at with him. I'm impressed. 
I, I will sing his praises while he's playing great, but I also want to be responsible here because we're in the media now, and I, I hate to consider myself a part of the media because as an athlete, <laughs> as an athlete, it's like taboo. It's like you hate the media. Like most of the media guys are, but I'm just a guy that loves football, likes to talk about football, and I want to. Um, I'm never going to be the guy that writes like hit pieces on a guy or 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 dog right. guy. I, I just want to highlight, hey, this is the people I think that are playing good right now. Because as an athlete, and I made that decision to do that, because as an athlete, um, I know that most people in the media space or, or the journalistic space do not know how tough it is to get up every day and go do that and put your body through that and the mental toll that it takes being in those meetings. So I'll never be the one to talk badly about kids. But I do want to highlight them. And I want to highlight Trevor Lawrence this week because he's on the right path. Um, but get back to the point, I want to be responsible because he is not a top 10 quarterback right now. He is not a top five quarterback. I saw some of that, too. That is just ridiculous talk. He is a young quarterback that is well on his way to becoming a Pro Bowl caliber guy, which is anywhere from 10 to 12. Um, I think I would say he's in the 12 to 15 range right now. Until he proves otherwise, we could we could re, we could revisit this conversation even in 10 weeks. Right. Uh, it could be week 12 and they could be sitting at eight and four or something. And I'll be like. He's playing at a top 10 level. He's earned that because he showed it over the course of a season. We, we'll, we'll have enough sample size then. But uh, until then, let's hold off on the grand declarations with Trevor Lawrence and just grade him game by game. I think he showed how well um, he could play, especially in a tough environment. So that's all I want to say. He's the performer of the week. He's not the performer of the year. He's not the MVP. Like, let's hold off. I've seen way too much crazy talk, especially with the way, like, the guys at the top are actually playing like Lamar Jackson, the Josh Allen's, the what Aaron Rodgers has done the last two weeks has been incredible. Um, even Brady has this team two and one with I'm, I'm not never going to disrespect players, but with a less than stellar group of offensive line and wide receiver talent right now. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're sleepwalking offensively, and Brady's carrying them by their feet. And I don't know if people really give him enough credit. They're like, oh, he only has three touchdowns. But are you watching the games? Do you see, the, first mm-hmm. of all, who they're playing against? They went to um, Dallas. They went to New Orleans. And then they had the Packers. Those are three of the best defenses in the National Football League. And you're going out there with the best wide receiver on the field uh, in Tampa Sunday, Sunday night was Randall Cobb. At 36, 37 years old, that should let you know about – everything those quarterbacks are doing right now. But I said that to say, um, Trevor Lawrence is not there yet. We have to hold off a little bit. Let's be responsible and be, um, you know, accountable with our words and our actions with our platforms here because he's a very good young quarterback who's developing into a very good NFL quarterback, and he could be there at the end of the season. But let's just go week by week, and this week he was excellent. So salute yeah. to you, Trevor Lawrence. Salute to the Jaguars' offensive line. Uh, that wraps it up for me. But I want to hear your thoughts about Trevor Lawrence. Well, look, I mean, he's as far as mechanics go, he is efficient with all of his movements, more so than just about any player that we've seen come out of college in a long time. You throw in the fact that his athleticism, especially when you look at his height and size, with that is pretty remarkable. His accuracy. Um, and his processing ability, it's all very, very good. I think, you know, as a Jets fan, I have little insights here and there into into that organization, and I sometimes use that as an example for 
the way that I, I, I look at the rest of the league. You will never... All, I mean, look, we saw, again, we saw this with Urban Meyer last year saying they would have preferred another player in the first round of the draft versus the one they got, which, again, just sh- shows you that he didn't have an awareness of what the NFL really is. But right. generally, you don't ever see that. And the Jets, in a very subtle moment, the GM was – they were talking excitedly about their quarterback, Zach Wilson, as a rookie. This was last year after the draft. They were happy they got him, and they said – he said something along the lines of, yeah, we're really excited about his athletic ability, his, you know, his, his second reaction ability. And, you know, I think really in just about any other draft, he would be worthy of a first overall pick. And it's subtle, but that tells a story. That is a general manager saying the guy we took second overall was clearly and obviously not as good as the player that went first overall. Right, and I think that kind of flew under the radar at the moment, but that was that was just a public statement that wasn't necessary. Yet he, you could tell that he would have felt dishonest not to say it. They around the NFL hold Trevor Lawrence very in a very 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 high esteem, and I understand why, and I absolutely agree with him, and I agree with what you said about him this weekend. I think with with good coaching with a reasonable cast around him, there's a reason that he was considered the best prospect since Andrew Luck. And I I don't think that what happened to him last year was, I I don't know if it's fair to just wash, like to just wash our hands of it and say that had nothing to do with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he was out there playing as well, but it's hard to separate what he did from all of that mess. So I'm guessing that's most of why the media didn't criticize him too terribly much. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can understand that. I just don't think everybody supported that luxury. So we can't do it with him. Yeah. That's, that's my only thing. That's about true. That. That's, that's a very good point. That's a good point. And you know what? There are a lot of really bad situations out there right. where people just take the player and say, "This, you're a bum. You stink. Get I mean, out of here. Two, for example, they had a historically bad offensive line. He had four offensive coordinators in three years. Um, he had no his best receiver was Devontae Parker. He had a bottom three run game for the first two years of his career. And everybody's like, and all he did was win. All he did was find ways to win, um, take care of the football for the most part. And everybody's like, this kid sucks. This kid sucks. And now everybody's doing a 180 because, oh, my God, he has a competent coach. He has, uh, they paid for Teron Armstead. They, they, they've got some guys around him. Oh my God, he's actually good. We put some decent stuff around him. The kid's producing at a high level. So I don't think everybody's afforded that luxury. So that's the only reason I say that. But I also want to want to protect Trevor Lawrence. Like I said, he's very good, right? He has all the tools. But there's been a ton of guys that have all the tools. You still have to produce at the end of the day. And now he's starting to produce. So let's not do a 180 in the opposite direction and just go like, oh, he's the best thing ever. He's the best thing ever. Because what happens when he has a bad game? Then everybody's going right back to because he's going to have a bad game. It's the NFL. Everybody does. Um, then everybody's back to oh my god, the guy's not that good, or the Jags or the Jags, and get him out of there and all that stuff. Like no, week by week, let's take your let's be responsible here. And, and I think that you'll start to see a lot of these guys, at least perception wise, be treated more fairly if we take it week by week instead of making grand declarations. And I think that. For this week, you have to give his you have to give him his flowers. He produced 
in a high-pressure situation against a very, very good football team. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if the media had to take as much accountability and were held to the same standards that players were. You know 100%. what I mean? Because just we, we'd have endless highlights on ESPN of, of cold takes. You know what I mean? But, but look, they're never going to point at each other, right? Because that's the whole shtick. But I, I appreciate you calling out moments where you were just saying, like earlier in the podcast, when you said you pointed out the Cowboys disagreeing with their first round pick and now recognizing that that was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a misjudgment on your part. And I will absolutely do the same as well. I think two is a perfect example. Now, my thing was, I recognized what all of his skills were. I just thought that there may be too much of an issue with arm talent. And I, I, th- I think only time will tell with that because we're three games into a very good season, right? So mm-hmm. I still, in the same way, in the, exactly the same way, I don't want to get too high only to have the carpet yanked out. So I think, I think he's shown a lot. I think he's shown a lot of toughness. And you know what? We're going to have a conversation at some point, maybe next week, um, I don't know, at some point, about him going back in after getting his head knocked around like that right but i don't think we really have time for it right now. you know what actually because i don't want to wait all the way till next week to have this conversation yeah let's have, have a couple now. minutes we have a couple minutes left let's talk about that my last point on tua is that i'm very impressed right now but in the same way with with trevor i don't want to get too high on him but let's talk about this when i saw that happen that looked like a serious concussion to me i mean he got up he could not walk well at all even with support he was wobbling around when he went out and then came back in I was shocked uh, you know I like legitimately shocked I don't think that there is any feasible way that you can tell me that he was not concussed in that game what do you think all right so the, I have two ha- three hats here there's the former player hat what I would have done in that situation there's the Quasi media guy hat, and then there's like the the organization hat, <laughs> and I think the the organization handled it extremely poorly, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough to say because, come on, man! Like we're not idiots. We saw him. They're like his back locked up. His ankles hurt. Like, come on, bro! <laughs> he, he smacked his head against the turf. He got up wobbly. He fell. You didn't fall because your back locked up. If your back was locked up that bad, you wouldn't have gotten up. I mean, if your ankle was hurting that bad, then, you know, you don't collapse because you're, I mean, disrespect our intelligence here from an organizational standpoint um, and, and, and a league standpoint. And then there's the, kind of like the media standpoint. It's like you have to talk about it because it was the biggest game of the week last week, right? Um, mm-hmm. It was, first of all, what a high level that game was played at. That felt like an AFC championship game. Like just the blows going back and forth. Awesome. I'm so disappointed that we didn't get to do a Monday, uh, a Sunday recap episode of a story for another day. Right, bro. Fortunately, fortunately, and I hope it's as good. They do get to match up again this year. So we do have that to look forward to. Yeah. But I agree. It was an awesome game. the, The level, man, like, the guys are dropping like flies because they're cramping up week three. I mean, you should not be playing football <laughs> game at that level at week three. I mean, that was that was playoff level football. But 
So I'm saying that from a media standpoint, you have to talk about it because it was the biggest game of the week. You can't ignore what you just saw. So the media and the organization standpoint kind of go hand in hand because it's like you can't insult the media's intelligence. Like his his back's hurt, his his ankles hurt. Like we all saw that. Like people are going to talk about it. It's going to be something that you have to address time and time again. They said that he cleared concussion protocol and went back in, right? And this is where the player aspect comes in. Because there's no way in hell you're taking me out of that game if I can walk, if I can, <laughs> if I can, like, you know, yeah. if I have my faculties. Um, I've played through headaches. I've played through, like, concussions. Like, I've done it. Like, it, I hate to say it, but it's like, this is where I feel like the organization has to stand in, stand in and be like, this is our guy. We have to protect him. This is our This is our number one quarterback. We tried to get some other guys. We turned down some other guys, but when McDaniel got here, this this was the guy that we say we're going to build our team around, and now we're in first place and up two games in the division, um, number one in everybody's power rankings and all that good stuff, right? But who cares? It's week three. No disrespect because I know you got your power rankings coming, but I'm saying power rankings <laughs> in week three are. I'll, I'll tease it. They're not my number one. I'll say that right now. Right. So so good. I'm glad they're not because they don't deserve to be number one in the power rankings yet. I mean, they they played. They play well. They're ten and one of their last nine, right? But you have to see it. You have to be more consistent. Um, <laughs> but there's no way you're taking me out of that game if I'm a player, and that's where you have to protect those guys. Like, mm-hmm. obviously he was concussed. Obviously, if he can talk, if he has his motor faculties, and he's not hunched over drooling, like you can you can clear most concussion. Most concussion protocols are like, do you have a headache? How do you feel? Follow this pin. Does it hurt with the light? Mm-hmm. Like basic stuff. If you're able to pass those basic stuff, those little basic kind of function tests, they're going to allow you to go back in. So I'm interested to see how this, because uh, the NFLPA, I've been very critical of them because you know I've had, I've had some dealings with them in the past. Like I've worked with them. I've you know helped some of the, the AFL CBA stuff. We have you know I, I fought for us to get the same lawyers that the NFLPA has. So I've worked with them a lot, and I've been very critical of them. Like over the CBA and like ensuring people's rights and, and just basic stuff that a, a union should be there for. Right. I was shocked to see how fast that they responded. And it was an hour after the game. They're saying we're investigating. Uh, there was talks of a lawsuit. I mean, they, they got right to it. So I'll be interested to see if they follow through with that, because that is actually very interesting to me to see them go to bat for it so fast. But you know what mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is like nobody's going to care in two days. They're going up to Cincinnati to play the Bengals on Thursday night football. Uh, you and two is going to play. Right? Two is going to <laughs> play. He's playing against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Uh, it's Waddle mm-hmm. and Tua versus Jamar Chase. I mean, you got Tyreek Hill, the storyline. Joe Burrow versus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be. It, that might be the biggest game of this week. You got Bucks Chiefs coming up, and you got Lamar and Josh Allen coming up as well. But that's going to be one of the biggest games storyline wise. Oh, and nobody be a good week of football. And nobody's going to care in two days. So that's where I feel like. Um, I already put all the hats on, right, from different perspectives. But this is where I feel like it's the NFLPA's job to not let this die. Because, in my opinion, it's not about Tua. And it's not about the Dolphins. This is a league-wide issue that, if we are serious about protecting players, needs to be addressed and needs to be held accountable and needs to be kept into the spotlight. So this is where it's on the NFLPA to stand up and really take account of, force the hand. Because the Dolphins have come out and said, and McDaniel said it in the press conference yesterday, I was watching, we will participate in any investigation We'll participate in anything the NFLPA has. But what does that really mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's over. You can't well, go back and, like, read the, the, you can't, we're going to watch film on them, evaluate them. There's no film of that. So, 
how do you actually hold these people accountable? And mm-hmm. if he did have, you know, clear concussion protocol, I mean, look, he went back out there and he played it. I, I have the stats here. Like, uh, give me two seconds. I'm pulling it up. I mean, well, I'll say something while you pull it up real quick. I'll, I'll say some. So there's some really interesting dynamics at play here. One is between the NFLPA and the NFL. Relationships between those two organizations have deteriorated substantially since the Deshaun Watson drama. They were pretty good after that negotiation over the CBA, which happened in 2020. There was a very contentious one back in 2011. It was sorted out. Things were going pretty well, actually, over the past few years leading up to that negotiation. That got done very quickly. And I will say, from an outsider perspective, I just want to be aware of that that the NFLPA kind of kind of got a little bit walked over in that one. Um, yeah, no doubt they that conceded. Got they yeah, they got conceded. Okay, I just want to say that like I'm neither a player nor a lawyer, but I, you know from what I follow, they they conceded a lot of stuff and didn't get much back really. And that's on the players because they did take it. The, the, the PA did bring it to a vote, and the players mm-hmm. voted to. Um, the PA was like, hey, we're, we're, we're presenting you the facts. Uh, we're presenting you what you could get. And it's hard. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I do want to acknowledge that because they tried in that case. And mm-hmm. it's hard well, to get guys that make vet minimums or rookie minimums to risk their future. Um, they they didn't have the ability. Well, they didn't, they didn't see a scenario where they could accept any prolonged lockout or um, – that type of situation. They were like, dude, we got to get our checks. And I think that's where it's so hard to get everybody on board for the yeah. PA. It's not an easy I get job, that. but that's where I feel like you have to really hit home. You're missing out on this. Well, I get it. But I think one of the issues, and we're, we're going into a totally different conversation here, but one of the issues with that is that those vet minimums should be already much higher than they are. They, mm-hmm. than they are, than they, what was just agreed to because they haven't even changed in a decade. So the fact that they increased is like, I mean, they, they barely changed in that decade from the 2011 to 2020. So the fact that they increased them, it's like, it's a marginal increase and you're, you're barely, it's not a win. If they went in and they got notable vet minimum increases across the board, then I would get it. But it's like, if that's, if that's the increase of vet minimum that you're offering the players, I think that that's an overall loss. But look, we can get into the weeds on that. Yeah, that's uh, another conversation like, for another deep. day. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. And I would love to have it with you. But but yeah, um, the but but just so now that the Deshaun Watson situation happened and the relationships have deteriorated between the NFL and NFLPA, this is probably the NFLPA's moment to go hard after the NFL and embarrass them publicly. Mm-hmm. Now because the NFL has made such a strong public and vocal expression of how safe we are with concussions now with the new helmets. I forget what they're called, but they had them all training camp. I think they still practice in them mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and, and everything they've been doing, like they put it on every commercial they can, they get it featured in hard knocks, anything they can, they, they're getting out there. We care about concussions. This is an opportunity for the, for the NFLPA to make the NFL look bad. The other dynamic at play here is the NFL is super pissed at the Miami Dolphins right now. 
They just fined the owner a million dollars, which is whatever. But that's still like it's a, in in the scheme of things for him, it's okay. But that's a big fine, either way. And they they find him a first round pick. They embarrass them publicly. They're pissed at the Dolphins. So the last thing that the NFL wants right now, that the other owners want, is to have to deal with another issue, another public perception issue coming from the Miami Dolphins. So I'm very curious to see what the NFLPA does in their push against the NFL in this case. And I'm curious to see if the NFL comes down hard on the Dolphins because it's it's kind of one thing after another for them right now. Yeah, that'll be definitely interesting to keep in keep an eye on. And I, and I think that uh, I don't want to have just but this long winded response because I don't have much to say about it. But <laughs> I think that if you are serious about protecting players, then it needs to be an egoless conversation between the league and the teams and the PA because yeah, they all go. That. Yeah. I mean, and that's never going to happen. So, and, and that's my actual point is that I don't think they're actually that serious about protecting players. You think that people weren't, when Tua got hurt, you don't think people tuned in to that second half to see if he was going to play? And then when he came in the second half and went five for eight for uh, 110 yards and, and made the plays time and time again so they can get in the field goal range and get in the you know, scoring range to win, you don't think that was a, a beautiful story line for the NFL? I mean, hell yeah, they love that. Tua going toe-to-toe with Josh Allen and, and limited opportunities, making the most of his you know, possession. Like He went 13 of 18 for 186 yards. And a touchdown. He actually averaged mm-hmm. four more yards per attempt, uh, excuse me, per completion than Josh Allen did. Um, that third and twenty-two bomb he threw to Jalen Waddle, like he made those plays in the second half, w- presumably with a concussion. That is great for the NFL storyline, money-wise. You think they care more mm-hmm. about his actual health than the, those extra couple million people that tune into the game? I don't think so. So that's no. like they, I mean, they got to balance ratings. With public perception, though, you know what I mean. Like they don't, they don't look. I, I am way too jaded to believe that anybody really cares about anybody's well-being beyond some individual relationships, right. which I know are big in the NFL. I know there's like a very fraternal world within that, where there's a lot of like very close bonds that are created between coaches, players, and players and players and so on. But, but from any big picture standpoint, it's all talking points. Nobody in the NFL league office gives a damn mm-hmm. about any individual player. I, I totally agree with you on that. So, yeah, like I said, uh, I don't want to, you know, because we could talk about this all day. This is a whole different topic, but mm. if I'm glad serious, we got it in though, because it's timely. Sure. If, if you're going to, if you're going to act like you care about these guys and they have these new things that they're wearing around their neck as well, protect like, you know, cervical injuries and stuff like that. Like, you have to actually walk the walk at some point. It can't just all be mm-hmm. talk. And, and that's all I want to see from them is actual accountability on both sides. I think because, like I said, you have to protect the player from themselves. Any self-respecting player, any guy that's a competitor that has any fight in them, especially on a good team, that wasn't just the game. You know, if, if it was the Raiders and the Titans, you know, I mean, come on, like, there's some guys that probably wouldn't have risked, risked it for that. You know what I mean? Like those teams are, mm-hmm. are playing very well. There's not a lot to play for at this juncture, even though it's early in the season. That was the premier game of the season so far. Like protect the players from themselves because we're always going to want to get out there and go to battle, especially for our team. And you earn some stripes. I mean, two is going to get respect, but at what cost? Yeah. Yeah, man. 
All right. That's going to do it for us today, Kyron. Thanks so much for coming on and, and chopping it up with me about Monday Night Football and uh, your performance of the week. Now, next week, we're going to have the same format. We will include power rankings. I will let you tear down my power rankings. Hopefully, I'll have them done before we record the episode next week. <laughs> and <laughs> but between now and then, let everybody know where they can find you. Um, you can find me on all socials um, at Kyron Samuels, K-Y-R-O-N-S-A-M-U-E-L-S. Um, you can catch us on the Gridiron Heroics page on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at Gridiron Heroics. And um, you can catch me on uh, Watch Playback app, watching games, kind of like Matt, Matt, uh, excuse me, Manning Cast. Um, and that's the <laughs> app that I'll have on those, those socials. So come hang out with me, watch the games, click on our links on Gridiron Heroics. And make sure you give uh, Max a follow as well at the magazine. And glad you guys are tuning in with this, man. Thank you. So I appreciate you again having me, Max. And looking forward to getting to it next week. For sure. We'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you all so much for listening to our Monday Night Recap and Best Performers of Week 3. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. I'll be back tomorrow with our big show. We're going to, of course, have a Thursday night preview. We're going to do some injuries with Dr. Kyle Trimble. We're going to talk to Julius with some news. We're going to talk fantasy. We're going to talk college with Max Chadwick from PFF. Awesome show, as always. Please do like, subscribe, follow, review, rate, everything that you could possibly do to help us you have a, just a moment for will be so helpful and we will see you all very soon. <laughs>